The Hamlet Podcast, episode 58. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth with me, your host, Connor Hanmerty. This week, we're reaching the end of this longest scene of the play. It's almost like a little play unto itself. Ross has arrived and given this appalling news to Macduff, who is understandably stunned into silence. Now it's Malcolm who speaks, but doesn't really say the right thing at all. He makes his attempt and says, Be comforted. Let's make us medicines of our great revenge to cure this deadly grief. There, there, he's trying to say, Be comforted. Why don't we use this great attack we're planning as the revenge that will cure your grief? Even if this turns out to be an effective plan, it's rather tone-deaf of Malcolm to be suggesting this course of action, which has excellent implications for him, directly after Macduff has heard that his family has been slaughtered. Macduff manages to speak again now. He says, He has no children. All my pretty ones. Did you say all? Oh, hell, kite. All? What? All my pretty chickens and their dam at one fell swoop. Some commentators suggest that the first line here, he has no children, is about Malcolm. Perhaps Ross is hovering and trying to dissuade Malcolm from his unhelpful contributions. He has no children, therefore might suggest that Macduff is explaining young Malcolm's tactless words, acknowledging, yeah, like it's all right, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. But for all that, I really think that the line has to be in reference to Macbeth. We've been examining throughout the play the ways in which Macbeth and Macduff are presented as parallels, as similar, so that when their differences are mentioned, they become very apparent. The fact that the Macbeths have no children, but the Macduffs do, is important. And I think that here, Macduff is making the point that only a person who is not a parent would ever be so monstrous as to wipe out an entire family. There's also a grim reality dawning as Macduff says this, since now he too has no children. Almost as if he's double-checking, however hopeless it may be, Macduff asks again, All my pretty ones, did you say all? Is it really possible that Macbeth's murderers killed all of his children? Macduff now calls Macbeth a hell kite. Hell, obviously, we've been hearing a lot, and kites, as you may remember from the maws of kites line much earlier when Banquo's ghost appeared, are very unpleasant birds known for feasting on corpses. Kites are always a negative, malevolent force in Shakespeare. For Macbeth here to be described as a hell kite is sharp and brutal, two short syllables that give so much of an image of what an evil hunter he is. Equally swiftly, Macduff continues the bird metaphor but switches, while Macbeth is a kite. Macduff's family are all more domestic, vulnerable chickens. All my pretty chickens and their dam. A whole family of flightless, gentle birds and their mother, all slaughtered by this predator. 
One of the most famous lines in the play, one that you might never known, is Shakespeare's own coinage and comes indeed from Macbeth. Here follows, as he describes his family being killed at one fell swoop. Fell here means evil or wicked. Macduff is still describing this hunting kite, swooping down and killing all of them. One fell swoop still means in one go, and it's often misquoted, but there's no record of it before Shakespeare coined the phrase. While Macduff contemplates this awful attack, it's still only seconds really since he heard the news, Malcolm tries again. This time, he says, dispute it like a man. Poor Malcolm really is doing his best. He's trying to be helpful, but he's not much use, is he? This is hardly what you say to someone going through the unimaginable feelings Macduff is processing right now. Hey, please, stay manly and fight this massacre and get your revenge and be ready to fight for me and my army. Macduff, showing increasing nobility, actually agrees. I shall do so. But I must also feel it as a man. I cannot but remember such things were that were most precious to me. Did heaven look on and would not take their part? Sinful Macduff, they were all struck for thee. Naught that I am, not for their own demerits, but for mine fell slaughter on their souls. Heaven rest them now. Yes, he's saying, he will dispute this attack like a man, but he must also feel it as a man. Macduff has no problem with feeling emotional about his family's murder. As he eloquently puts it, he cannot help thinking about those who were most important to him. I cannot but remember such things were that were most precious to me. Now Macduff starts questioning. He wonders how God or anyone else in heaven could have watched while this was happening. Did heaven look on and would not side with his family, take their part? It's a rhetorical question, since obviously heaven did not help at all. Macduff next turns the blame on himself, not so much for not being there to protect them, but for the fact that his family has been killed on his account. Sinful, Macduff, he says, they were all killed or struck for thee. He says, naught that I am. Naught here means a wicked person, as in our word, naughty. Macduff believes that slaughter fell on their souls for his demerits, not those of his family. It's interesting that he lets naught and not echo off each other in consecutive lines, and that he repeats fell this time as a verb instead of an adjective. Sinful Macduff, they were all struck for thee. Naught that I am, not for their own demerits, but for mine fell slaughter on their souls. The slaughter is still wicked, or fell, as in one fell swoop, but now it has fallen on his family. The language here is bracingly tight and precise. The last thing Macduff will say on the subject now is very simple. Just four little words. Heaven rest them now. There's so little else that needs saying, it's almost devastating. 
Malcolm is starting to find the right things to say and now suggests, Be this the whetstone of your sword, let grief convert to anger, blunt not the heart, enrage it. It's kind of the same message from him again. Please use this and get ready to fight. But somehow Macduff's beautifully measured dignity mitigates Malcolm's kind of tacky fixation on what has to come next. Malcolm here is suggesting that Macduff use this awful attack as the whetstone on which he will sharpen his sword. In other words, it can be the spur that pricks the sides of his intent. He wants Macduff to convert his grief into anger rather than letting his heart be dulled or broken by this tragedy, he should now channel this rage. Macduff responds, Oh, I could play the woman with mine eyes and braggart with my tongue, but, gentle heavens, cut short all intermission. Front to front bring thou this fiend of Scotland and myself, within my sword's length set him. If he scape, Heaven forgive him too. Throughout Shakespeare, tears are associated with women, and it is considered unmanly to shed them, hence Malcolm suggesting that he disputed like a man by fighting rather than by crying. There's a weird irony to Macduff having just maintained that he has to feel this sadness like a man, and now he says that he could carry on and play the woman with his eyes, there's something here about acting, though, since Macduff mentions playing the woman and a braggart, two kind of theatrical tropes. A braggart is someone who boasts or brags and whose protestations are not to be trusted. Macduff is saying that he certainly could yield to emotion and cry or to posturing and threats like a braggart. But with another theatrical reference, he explains that he doesn't want any of this. He wants all intermission cut short so that he can meet Macbeth face to face. He doesn't want any play acting now. He wants to cut out all of the time between now and the main event because he wants now to fight Macbeth. Face to face or front to front and he prays to heaven to get them a sword's length apart so that they can fight to the death. And if Macbeth escapes presumably because he will have killed Macduff, well, may God have mercy on him. Malcolm's awkward exhortations to Macduff, so uncomfortably soon after the news of the massacre, seem heartless and even gauche on the page, but they also seem to work. Macduff goes from speechless grief to fighting talk very quickly after all, now Malcolm has one final piece of text to offer. This tune goes manly. Come, go we to the king. Our power is ready. Our lack is nothing but our leave. Macbeth is ripe for shaking, and the powers above put on their instruments. Receive what cheer you may. The night is long that never finds the day. In some editions you'll read this time goes manly, but older ones seem to prefer tune over time. Both would have looked very similar on the page, but now that they're going to have to march, Malcolm suggesting that he likes Macduff's tune sounds pretty good. Malcolm insists that they should go to the king, Edward, since even after all of these weeks we are still in England. 
Malcolm's power is ready. That's that army he's been here to raise. And all they need now is the order to depart. Macbeth, he says, is ripe for shaking. There are going to be quite a few autumnal images coming up as we go through towards the end of the play. And one of the most extraordinary visual images from anywhere in Shakespeare to do with trees. Malcolm gives us a little teaser here with this image of Macbeth like a piece of fruit on a tree, perhaps overripe and likely to fall soon. So they'll go and shake the tree. With Macbeth primed and ready for deposing, and Malcolm's forces armed, they've put on their instruments. It's time to go, and heaven help them. Take comfort, he tells Macduff. Receive what cheer you may. And like any good Shakespearean scene, it ends with a rhyming couplet. So Malcolm ends with this rather trite observation that the night is long that never finds the day. It feels like he's reaching for some kind of useful phrase. At the end of the day it gets dark, or that after even the longest night, such as Scotland is now suffering, the dawn will come. But this is not, for me, the finest line of the play, and God love the performer playing Malcolm, who has to deliver it. However the line is delivered, we have now reached the end of this scene, and indeed of Act 4. In the next episode, we'll head back to Scotland and back to the Macbeths for another of the play's most famous scenes. Thank you, as always, for your company. Stay safe, mind yourself, and be sure to wash your hands before next week's episode.